Okay, we have, uh, we've been set free, and we are going to be set free even more when we have glorified bodies, and uh, I want to tell you something, that requires the time that is coming that we're waiting for, that Satan has to be bound. Something has to be done with Satan because he's not going to be living in the kingdom of God with us. Not in that place. He will be held and bound. Have you ever thought about that? What what would this nation be like if it didn't have Satan? It would be incredibly different, wouldn't it? So it gets you all sorts of questions tumbling out in your mind. Why did God ever allow Satan? (laughs) And then uh, you realize that God is much deeper than us, but I'm sure we have uh, some thoughts of why He allowed Satan uh, to come and tempt Adam and Eve and uh, to actually uh, tempt all of people that have ever lived in this world and will live. Um, But there will be a time when his deceiving the nations will stop. That's where we're at today because we've been talking about the great tribulation, the seven seals, the seven trumpet judgments, the seven bowl judgments, and uh, we saw that last week there was a lake of fire. And in that lake of fire is thrown the beast, the false prophet. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords has won the battle at that time, right at the end of chapter 19. And that's where we left off. The kingdom is ready to go. And one thing is left before that kingdom is getting ready to happen, and it's what happens to Satan. And that's where we turn our attention to today. When we start the kingdom, we can't have him there. He's got to go. Let's read the text. Revelation 20, 1-3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss, shut it, sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were completed after these things, he must be released for a short time. Lord, great God, You are holy, and what a story You have given, a story of truth all through the ages, and now we've seen it come to this point in time as we've just read, where Satan will no longer deceive the nations, where he will no longer tempt anyone. And Lord, that is really something to look forward to. Our nemesis, our very adversary, will be put away. And uh, this part has to be put here. And we're so thankful it is because that's what the truth says. Otherwise, we'd never know whether He would come back and bother us again. He will not. In Jesus' name, Amen. First part we look at here is the angel. going to be looking at the angel, the dragon, the abyss, and the thousand years. The first thing we see is the removal of Satan. Already we've seen through the judgments, fallen men, fallen women, uh, they've all been slain in the process of judgments down through the years and all the way into the tribulation, all the way through those bold judgments, the other judgments, the seals, uh, the trumpet judgments. And uh, now we see that 
there is a process of judgment that happens at the very time that Christ comes back at Armageddon. Uh, it's an unregenerate world, uh, basically, but there are believers that He comes back to. And of course, we think of the ones that will go into the kingdom. And we come back with Christ. And what happens is that we saw uh, last week the beast, false prophet, <coughs> have already been thrown into the lake of fire. So God is removing now in this section the adversary. He's not throwing him into the lake of fire, but He is throwing him and the demons into the abyss. It's, this is the reign of Christ that takes over. And it's a kingdom without any obstruction such as Satan has been. Any hindrance that he's had. By the way, can you imagine um, a world without Satan and also without the worldly things that's offered? Only the things that God has. Have you thought about a world without the flesh that we battle with? Those are our three enemies. Can you imagine a world like that? Well, there is. There's one coming. This is great news, isn't it? Gospel truth here. Anyway, an angel from heaven comes at this point. We're not told who it is. It, uh, it's not Michael. It's not Gabriel. It's a, it, it's a mighty angel. This angel has supernatural strength because this angel is a supernatural being. Supernatural, they go beyond this flesh of mankind. But this angel takes on Satan. Satan doesn't have a chance against this angel because it's God's will here. He comes down from heaven and on his agenda is to lay hold of Satan and then he is to bind him and then he is to cast him into the abyss and then lock him up with a key and then seal him. What that tells me is I'm not so sure how these physical elements come into play, but I can tell you that it means wherever Satan is put, he's not going to get out for a thousand years. Whenever he's released, whenever he's unlocked. So this angel is going to come and do his job. Can you imagine overwhelming the demon of all demons, Satan? And this angel just masters him. Now this is the place, this key of the, uh, the abyss that we're talking about. This abyss, the demons are sent to be reserved there for a time for a final sentencing to the lake of fire. Uh, the abyss is not the final hell yet. It's a place of punishment and torment. It's like a jail. Being in a jail cell until ultimately they go into what the uh, assignment would be to the penitentiary. An eternal penitentiary. This lake of fire. This idea of the abyss, we'll go into that when we get into verse 3. So I'll get a little more depth on it. We have talked about it, but I will talk about that a little bit further now. Uh, talking about a key, opens it up. Chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus Christ is the one who has the key of the keys of death and hell. Remember that? And he dispenses those keys, and in this case, to an angel for locking up. Satan and the demons. Uh, in chapter 9, he opens the bottomless pit up, if you'll remember that text. And here again in chapter 20, this is opened up, this pit is, and it's locked. 
He has a great chain in his hand. And you notice what kind of a chain is it? It's a great chain. Well, Satan is pretty great as far as his power is concerned, isn't it? So it's going to take a great chain to bind him, to tie him up. And that signifies that the power that comes here, he's not going to break it. It's a, it's a chain to bind him. It'd be the same kind that we see in the book of Jude in Jude 6. Jude, just before Revelation, says, Angels who didn't keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. That's what Jude says. So that's kind of related there in the sense for those demons that did something exceptionally bad very early in Genesis, Genesis 6. And we'll probably touch on that in just a little bit here. Kind of a review. They did something that was unmentionable and, and God bound them into that abyss. Other demons have been eternally bound in great chains there. Satan himself can't break the chain of God that is used to bind him up. So there is the passage dealing with the angel. Now we come to the dragon. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, which is the devil and Satan. So we're, what we have here is uh, the dragon and mentioned as the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. What's the dragon mean? Well, we've seen the dragon mentioned in Revelation 12, verse 3. It talks about a bestial nature here. That's what you would think of as a dragon. It says, uh, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So when she gave birth, he might devour her child. That'd be the Messiah. He wanted to devour the Messiah when he came. He's a dragon. He's fierce. He's ferocious. Next is the serpent. The serpent takes you back to Genesis 3. And in the Garden of Eden, with Eve was this serpent that was beautiful looking. The curse is that that serpent was cursed to be on the ground, his belly to the ground. And so therefore, when we see snakes now, we tend to think of that. They can look like that, can't they? But uh, not so beautiful anymore. It's so tempting. He's a serpent. He's also known as the devil. Everybody knows about that title that he has, and that's Diabolos. Diabolos means slander. Uh, he's one who slanders the saints. Night and day, what does he do to the saints? He accuses them until he's finally kicked out. In Revelation, we see that he's kicked out for good. And then later, he will be kicked out of the earth and then taken to the abyss. Satan's time is short. It's going to happen. Uh, he's a malignant liar. When you think of slander, you think of untruths. Or you think of, he speaks the truth sometimes in lying purposes. So he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's also known as Satan. Satan means adversary. He means enemy. Satan means he opposes God the Father. He goes, opposes God the Son. He opposes God the Holy Spirit. He opposes the saints. 
He opposes us. What an enemy. The adversary. That's the idea of Satan. And so, Satan is bound at this time. Boy, that's going to mean during this time period, things are going to change dramatically. Uh, Wow. Dramatical change to this earth. There will be no satanic enterprise. There will be no satanic ideologies. All the ideologies that are rampant in this world, the idea of socialism is running amok, isn't it? Like you wouldn't believe. There's nothing good about socialism. Absolutely zero. Well, who thought of that ultimately? Where did it come from? How about the philosophies of the world? Where did they come from? Where did false religions come from? All of this comes from the mastermind himself, that's Satan. The theories. The theories of evolution, where does that come from? The theories of what morality really should be. The theories of justice. Satanic justice. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? The theories of social behaviors. All of these things, they come from Satan. No satanic maxims, opinions, ideologies will be anywhere on the globe at this time because Satan and the demons are gone. None of that influence will be here any longer because the truth will live amongst the people. The whole demonic world during this time is going to be incarcerated. So my question was at the very beginning, is what's this world going to be like? What would it be like without Satan right now? What would it be like? A lot of things would disappear immediately, wouldn't they? But it can't happen until Christ comes back. That's the idea. Do we have something to look forward to? Next, number three, is the abyss. And by the way, it said he's going to be bound for a thousand years. For a thousand years. And that says in three, and he threw, the angel threw him into the abyss, shut it, sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Okay. Bound. Satan is going to be bound. My question is, is Satan bound today? I have to ask that because uh, there's many uh, ones who believe that he is bound. And what we have to do is look at the Scriptures and think about that in a way he is bound. I know that surprises you, but he was defeated at the cross. Christ came, defeated Satan at the cross, resurrected, and took saints with him. And he declared victory. The only thing is, we live in a world today where we have an unseen kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. But realistically, physically, we also live in a world where sin runs amok. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And so I contend with, yes, Christ defeated him, but by the way, that's what all Revelation is about. He opens the seals. He opens the book up to 
come back ultimately to claim the rights that He has over this earth and over everything. He has not done that yet. It was done, it was paid for at the cross, but there's still something to culminate. And that's where the division of this kind of theology will probably arise. And it's okay. Ultimately, it does work out. But I will say, because of so many texts that bother me, I say that Satan is on the loose. He's defeated. His time is short. And we know as Christians, we have nothing to fear of Satan. He cannot take us. But he's still deceiving the nations. And you can see it right before you. So don't ever tell somebody he is not deceiving the nations anymore. Right now, he's not. There will be a time when that will happen. So therefore, we are looking into the future. Let's see why I say that. He is far from bound. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We have to let the Scriptures speak. And I don't want to take my ideologies and my opinions, but... I, if I were just reading this face value and I look at other texts, I would say, if somebody asked me, is Satan bound? I go, well, certainly not. Why is that? He, he want, uh, Christ wanted the cross. First Peter 5.8 says, Be of sober spirit. Right now, while you live here on the earth, be on the alert. Your adversary, remember, adversary, the devil, the enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, someone would say, well, he's on a leash. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he, God only allows him to do what God allows him to do. Same way, all the way back to the time of Job. But he has never been un, just bound up and locked up and not be able to do anything. And that's what our text in Revelation 20 is. So that's a pretty key verse, I think. Let's keep moving on. Um, Chapter 6 of Ephesians. We're all familiar with that. While we live here on earth, here is an enemy that we have. In chapter 6, verse 11, verse 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There's the devil again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So they're out there in the heavenly places. They're not in an abyss locked up. They are challenging us constantly. Don't ever forget to put on that full armor of God. What is that? It's Christ. Put on Christ. He's the one that protects us. He is our armor. So we look at Ephesians 2. While you're in Ephesians 6, go to Ephesians 2, verse 2. Here it says that everybody is depraved. Verse 1 says you're dead in your trespasses. You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That was in verse 1. Verse verse 1 and 2, right? We lived in that. The lust of our flesh and the, the, the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. 
So that was the nature of man. That's the nature of us until we're converted. Every man, woman, and child that's born has the nature of sin, Satan, death, hell in them. That's the idea in, in that way. I mean, the, so the sense here is that Satan's on the loose. And he's challenging the believers. This was written during New Testament time after the time of the cross. And he says, Satan is out there and he's warring against your soul. And so we look at Revelation 9 verse 1. No, no, no. I don't want to go there yet. I'm sorry. Can we go to 2 Corinthians 4 4? We're still looking at our adversary who unleashes war against the saints and all through the tribulation 2 Corinthians 4 4 says this verse 3 says even if the gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God God uses Satan to blind the minds to keep them from the Gospel. That's amazing. It's the Gospel. And Satan has a lot to do with blinding the minds of the unbelieving world. Unless God comes in and opens their eyes up, Satan will keep them even more blind and they don't get it. Why are they doing what they do? They don't get it. John chapter 14, verse 30. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. There you get the ruler of the world. The prince of the power of the air. And so, those are key passages, aren't they? Um, thrown into the abyss. What is that? We've seen it before. Uh, Revelation 9.1, uh, we see it there. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which said, Fall into the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He's going to open it up. He opened the bottomless pit or abyss and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. It's like these demons come up out of this abyss and they're unleashed on the world to, to cause all sorts of havoc. Well, that's one place where we've seen the abyss. If you will look at 2 Peter 2.4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, or Tartarus, a holding place, it's a pit, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And so he says there were certain angels that sinned that he put a punishment on and he threw them into the abyss. 
That's where they have been since the very, very early times whenever they committed such an evil act that God had to lock them up. They've been locked up since. Um, Jude, verse 6 and 7. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. He's talking about judgment there. There are angels who did not keep their proper, their own domain. Whatever it was, they went over and beyond. I mean, it was a sin of sins. Angels, or these demons, are all wicked. But these are so wicked that they're held in bonds. They were put into the abyss, the pit. Luke 8.31 This is during the time of Christ walking this earth. You might remember this. In 8.31 you have demons that were cast into swine. Do you remember that? Jesus asked, you know, what's your name? They say, Legion, for many demons had entered this man. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Did you see that in verse 31 there? Do anything, but don't throw us into the abyss. Who's there? It's the demons that were cast there. They had not been out since, locked up. And that these demons knew about that. They're, they're on the earth. And so he wound up putting them into the swine. They knew about the abyss. And here's this abyss here that Satan is thrown into. And the demons at a future time, they're bound there. You cannot, during the time of the kingdom, you cannot say, well, the devil made me do it. Everybody that is of age going back to the 60's remember Flip Wilson can't even say that anymore to the younger generation but Flip Wilson was a comedian and of course uh, he always did this on every show and of course whenever he did something the devil made me do it Right? he had a little skit going out there the devil made me do it well he doesn't make us do anything but he sure tempts us doesn't he so there's no excuse. And at that time, Satan will not be living on in the kingdom. Uh, the worldly influence is going to be limited because the King of Kings is there. And really our, the battle for... And we will be glorified, so we will not have temptation whatsoever. We'll be out of this flesh. And the only really enemy at that time, basically, for the most part, will be the flesh. There will be people who are not glorified that go into the kingdom that are believers. And so therefore, as they walk in, they are believers. They will have children. They will live for hundreds and hundreds of years. And guess what? It will be a great time. But there will still be people who will rebel against God. And there will be many. Now, that brings us into the very last part very last part of our text today in verse 3. Threw him into the abyss, shut it, sealed it over him. What's that tell you? He cannot get out. There will be no influence of Satan at all. And that's why I say he's locked up at that time. This is the binding. Because it says here he would not deceive the nations any longer. 
He's so locked up and sealed that he cannot do that. So the time between Christ and now, he is going about doing his satanic things. If God doesn't want him to do it, he will stop him, keep him from doing it, like the time of Job. But for the most part, Satan does what he does. And God will either say no or allow him to do it. Okay, last part right at the end. Until the thousand years were completed. This is the second time that thousand years is mentioned. It's something to take note. Every time in the Bible where you have a number and uh, years, and what it's applying to is always taken literal. Uh, and if we don't take this literally, then we can break a rule also where in Genesis where many people say, well, that really... It's just a spiritual thing. It's millions of years God created and He used evolution to do it, right? We know the argument. Uh, do we take the six-day scriptural truth as literal? Yes, we do. But many in the church don't. And that's where the rest of the Bible can run into a lot of problems. It's meant to be read literally unless noted as symbols, as Revelation has many of these. And I know the idea of the key and all that, locking them up physically, I'm not so sure how that all works. Uh, God could certainly do a physical realm there, but these are spiritual beings. But all I can tell you is they fight. And uh, finally, Satan has to be put in a place somewhere. So, that's why I have to take this literal. Otherwise, we run into all sorts of problems and trying to explain, well, Satan is actually bound while he is tempting us, giving the world all of its false religions and schemes. Huh. I can't argue it with that to them because that's what they have but I would definitely put scriptures and say well, what about this what about that and it's always spiritualized and that's where we run into trouble check it out no matter what theology you go with and who you who you believe every man can be errant I could be errant but I did show scripture and I think that was enough for me to realize this is true and these thousand years are true uh, no influence from Satan. Okay, the Old Testament, many places, Zechariah 14, after it speaks of the Lord descending on the Mount of Olives at His second coming, we read in verse 9 of chapter 1, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. The earth, king on the earth. In that day shall be one Lord and His name one. In verse 16 of Zechariah 14, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left out of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacle. Some will not go up and worship Him. This can't be the eternal state. Is there disobedience in the eternal state? No. Are, there, are nations going up to worship God at the temple today in the structure of Zechariah where Christ has come back literally and had this millennial temple that's built that's described in Ezekiel 40-48? through 48. So, the Old Testament teaches that peace will finally come 
to pass at this time. Isaiah 2.4 reads, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There will be other changes to the earth. There will be environmental transformation in creation. Isaiah 35 teaches us that the, uh, the deserts will blossom. There will be great productivity where there was actually deserts. And they were barren. And in Israel today, you can even see that in deserts, now roses are blooming. I think this is going to uh, uh, superabound at this time. There's going to be a harmony in creation that we have not experienced here in Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. Are there going to be little children in heaven? I think not. We're all going to be fully mature. But this is at a time that there's never been. It's because things change drastically during the kingdom. And somebody say, well, there's not going to be animals in heaven. or, or in the king- Why wouldn't there be? Why did He create animals in the first place? It's part of His creation. There's going to be plants. All of those things are great in creation. Don't erase them. It's a key part of His creation. And uh, also, we know that people will live much longer for hundreds of years. I've read it many times in Isaiah 65. You will be considered to be a child if you die at 100 years old. Or, or, or if you're 100 years old, you'll be considered a child. That means you will live long, like early days of Genesis. Nothing uh, about that should be hard to believe, should it? It's, it's happened. He's returning it something like the creation of the earth and Adam and Eve that lived in a beautiful place. Um, physical infirmities, they're going to be eradicated at that time. Wow. A lot of things happen. I, that's amazing. And we'll have glorified bodies. We'll have to worry about it at all. And then... And that the ones that are in the flesh that come in there, and then you know, have children, you know, all of these things are great. And it goes back to Israel returning to their homeland. In Amos nine, I will plant them upon their land; they shall be no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. You see, there were unconditional covenants that were made, and of course Ezekiel thirty-seven and thirty-eight, and that's right. Uh, right in a section dealing with the blessings upon the nation there. Isaiah 60 uh, verse 18 talks about no more violence. Violence should be no more hurt in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. There will be no violence there and if anyone raises up, boom like that, rule with a rod of iron. We will be doing that with Christ. Ruling with the rod of iron, as Revelation 2 says. And so when we know that people will be going to the temple at certain feast times. Not all the feasts, but some feasts, as mentioned in Zechariah. You know what? And it says right at the end, after these things, he must be released for a short time. Satan is bound, and he's going to be released for a short time. Yeah, about like that. There are going to be people, and we'll get to that at a further date probably next time. Um, verse 7 says, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, his abyss, 
and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Who are they? Could be demons, but I think you've got mankind who sends there because it shows they some will not go the nation some nations will not go up to worship the temple like they were told to. It also says in Isaiah chapter sixty five that if you die at a hundred years old you'll be considered a, or, or if you die you would be considered accursed not to live at least a hundred years old. That means your their life will be shortened. That means during this time period there's actually death. So that's not the eternal state. And it's not now, so there's a time period. Somebody might argue, okay, well, I, I agree with that. A lot of people say it's right now that we're living in it. There's no millennium, we're in it. And it's not a thousand years, because it's been two thousand years. But uh, I absolutely disagree with that, because this passage is saying it, and you're disagreeing with a thousand years, and say, well, I have to take this symbolically. Well, then Satan is, is symbolic. There's not really a real Satan. There's not an abyss that he's being thrown into. It's all in your mind. How far can we go if we dismiss that? And I'll tell you where the theology came from. It came from the Roman Catholic Church. And it even goes back to the time of Augustine. But did you know that Augustine actually believed in a kingdom of this time period? And take it all the way back to the early church fathers. I wished I would have written them down. And, but I'll, I'll probably include them next week. I think I might have mentioned but. Spurgeon believed in this thousand-year kingdom. But go back to the early church fathers. Right in the, at the end of the, first, end of the second century, Irenaeus and Polycarp and on and on, uh, Clement, they all believed in a literal thousand-year kingdom. It wasn't established at, until the Roman church that spiritualized the whole Bible and it spiritualized Revelation and it kind of stuck even during the Reformation, and those guys didn't even really want to touch this book. Calvin didn't even write a commentary on Revelation because he had no idea really what it was about. Basically, that's the idea. Um, I say this saying we have a lot to look forward to. And if you take Satan out of the equation, and you take the world out of the equation, and eventually the flesh out of the equation, we have everything to look to. Dear my Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for the hope that gives us. Uh, I know that I possibly could be wrong in my interpretation. Uh, but I know Your Scripture is true where if I would be in, er in, in error, Lord, I'm, I'm putting these forth by using the Scripture and then trying to say, okay, I think it's this way. Lord, I, uh, I know that there are other views and by very many godly men. But at the same time, Lord, force us check these Scriptures out and to be able to test the Scripture. At any rate, all the Christians look forward to Christ coming back, getting rid of Satan and ultimately sin and death and hell and victory is there and all the church agrees on that. And ultimately, that's what Revelation is putting forth. Thank you for the detail. Thank you as we celebrate this weekend enjoying what you've given us. And as we walk out of here, we give you all glory and Help us to give the gospel through that in Jesus' name. Amen.